Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of Super High Sci-Fi. As promised, normal service resumes. Uh, we have something topic-wise pretty good today. Not a commentary track, thank God. I know some of you are probably sick of hearing us talk about those. Uh, instead, we come to you with a question for the ages, which is, which is the best Star Wars movie? Which is the worst Star Wars movie? And uh, what's in between? How would you rank the, the entire series overall? So we're going to try and do that from, what are we doing, Grant? Best to worst? Worst we're to doing, best? Yeah, we're going to do worst to best so we can start off with controversy and, and end with controversy. Okay, so we're doing worst to best. And as you can hear, uh, Grant is with me today as usual. And joining us once again in place of our uh, space explorer father is <laughs> Sam. Hey there. Still stuck in New Jersey. Still in New Jersey. Yeah, so everybody, you can take pity on Sam, unless you're from New Jersey, in which case we're collectively taking pity on you. <laughs> it's getting warmer here slowly but surely. Yeah, all right, whatever. It's sunny in, in the 70s down here, so uh, <laughs> whatever. Not a competition. <laughs> oh, and also just um, one, one quick piece of uh, late news lately that I heard for Sci-Fi. Some I'm I'm very worried about this. So apparently, if no, if you haven't seen it, the remade Battlestar Galactica, which was amazing, amazing. If you haven't seen it, you should immediately go watch it. I believe it's all on Netflix. But amazing, amazing remake. Unfortunately, it seems like I think it's Universal has gotten their hands on the rights to it, and they're more than thinking about remaking it into a feature film, but not at all like the remake was. We make it into a feature film in the vein of the 1970s original show. Yeah. So a campy space adventure comedy. I guess it's something like that, but I'm I'm just kind of worried. It's it's sad after you had that amazing reboot remake. I wish they would just leave it alone because I don't think you're ever going to top that, especially in a movie. How are you going to fit that whole series into a fucking like maybe even a trilogy? Good luck. Yeah, I mean, even like a long trilogy, you could maybe, if you're going to do like Lord of the Rings length, what are those clock in at if you have the director's cut like 18 hours or something? God. Oh God, yeah, it's, it's for, it'd take you like three whole days to watch the, yeah. the Blu-ray extended editions. But yeah. even then, still, like the the number of specials they made and the number of like TV movies they created for the BSG 2004. Yeah, Razor and all that. Yeah. And all the, the plan and everything. That's Caprica. already, yeah. Right, that's already taken care of. Like, you you couldn't even equal that content with doing a Lord of the Rings length Blu-ray special release. So, yeah, I agree, Sam. I'm worried about that. If that's what's happening, I don't even know why you try. Because they want to make more fucking money, of course, but it's going to be god-awful, I bet. Yeah, that's so weird, though. I I mean, I hadn't heard about that at all, but that... I just wonder how they came up with that idea. Yeah, I I have no clue how they're going to try and pull that off. I'm not hopeful, though. Well, you know, worrying news, worrying, uh, I guess, a worrying attempt to make more money, which kind of segues, I guess, neatly into uh, at least part of our discussion about uh, the Star Wars films, since I I think I'm probably safe in saying that if we can't agree on what the worst film is, we can all agree it certainly resides in the prequels. Yeah. Yeah. That's easy. So how do you guys want to do this? Just do like a round robin, just everybody gives their their rank for each one of them and then we talk yeah sure okay that sounds good clark i'm gonna i think you should start 
Okay. Um, the worst to the best Star Wars movie, according to Clark, is the Phantom Menace. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of the that's the. I think that's the obvious choice. Mm. There's some pluses in it though that I like. There's some cool things in it, but overall, yeah, the movie kind of sucked. Yeah, I, I mean, like Darth Maul, it's cool. The, the fight, battle. the fight with Liam Neeson and um, what's his face, Ewan McGregor. Thank you. Yeah, Ewan McGregor and Darth Maul. That was one of my that was one of my favorite lightsaber battles in the prequels, at least. I mean, that's why I went to see the movie in the theater three times because of that battle. I went yeah. like two hours each time just to get to the battle. Yeah, I won't disagree that the lightsaber battle at the end is cool, and I think I already mentioned in like a past episode that. I was really impressed with just the small touch of like having Darth Maul point at the rock on the floor to bash open the door button. Yeah. It's like such a thing that somebody who could move stuff with their mind would do like just as an easy shortcut. So I, you know, I give the movie credit in that regard, but my issues with it are the kid. Number one, first and foremost, fuck that kid. <laughs> I really wish he had died in the movie and like some other kid was Anakin to get mm. revealed that at the end. That would have been okay with me. Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn's like, psychic level planning let's go on separate transports that are going out to the planet from this droid ship but they're going to conveniently land within like 10 feet of each other that was a real roll of the dice mm. now i know you know fat fuck george will just come out and say oh it's the roll of the force they're not close together on the planet <laughs> but you know what fuck that that's lazy writing and i think that overall the single biggest problem i can cite with that also is that jar jar binks is in it and he mm. doesn't die I mean, to episode three's credit, he shows up to look sad. Yeah. And that's it. So I George, think he was I, in two, too. Yeah, George figured it out, but episode one, there's just way too much Jar Jar Binks not dying. So I take a real issue with the movie. That's always going to be the worst for me. I mean, I, I think we can take solace in the fact that he probably died in an Imperial concentration camp yeah. after Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part of uh, playing Battlefront 2 is the mission where you have to go knock over the Naboo government and kill the queen. Because I know that unwritten in that, you know, kind of uh, inferred in the offing there is that you went to the Gunga Sea World and executed Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, the, the extermination of the Gungans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Sam, what's your, what's your worst? My worst? Um... I guess, you know, I think it's from the prequels. I, I like, you know, some of the things in episode one of the prequel made it, it was still terrible, but at least those things kept it from being the worst. The worst for me is uh, very possibly, probably probably episode three. Because wow. there's Whoa. just, yeah, yeah, I know. There's just, I know Darth Vader being there is cool and everything, but there's just some things in it. And there's, of course, in all these prequels, there are some things that, were cool and that I liked, but the third one, I I won't lie, I just kind of got bored in some of it. Like there was fun stuff like the Emperor shooting Samuel L. Jackson um, into the fucking skyscape of um, Coruscant with uh, with his force lightning. That was entertaining. That was hilarious. Uh, yeah, it is really funny actually. And um, yeah, I laughed out loud in the theater when that happened. Oh. Yeah, me and my friends did too. It was pretty ridiculous. People got pissed at us, but it was very entertaining. I mean, I think as as cool as as much as I love lightsaber battles, I gotta say the lightsaber battle between Obi Wan and Anakin did not wow me. Yeah, there were some cool things they were fighting on lava and everything. It's great, but I don't know. I feel like it dragged and it wasn't that entertaining or anything. And uh, what, oh yeah, also the thing 
I've read a bunch of theories on this, but um, oh, Anakin's uh, wife Padma, Padme dying because of a quote-unquote broken heart, that just bothered the fuck out of me. And I read a theory somewhere that really what happened was, um, so we know that when Anakin is eventually remade and everything, he asks, you know, what happened to Padme? And the Emperor said, she's dead. You killed her. And he goes, but, you know, no, she was alive. And it was confirmed that, you know, even though Anakin force chokes her, that didn't kill her. Clearly she wasn't dead from that. He didn't, like, crush her windpipe to the point where she was going to die, like, a couple hours later. The theory I've read about it is that um, Anakin is, you know, so badly injured when the Emperor finds him that what the Emperor does is, because he's got so much power at that point, he's actually able to draw the life for, like, basically, the, not the life force energy out of Padme and funnel it into Anakin. So that way he's being able to bring back to life. And that way when he says, you killed her, and he kind of smiles, it's because he's like, I used her force to keep you alive, so you kind of ended up killing her. Wow, that is a Da Vinci Code level theory and the way that turned out. It's, and they also say, you know, the droids can't figure out what's wrong with her because the fo- droids can't sense the force. They just say like, oh, she's dying broken heart or whatever, which is bullshit or whatever but there were some things i'm forgetting one or two facts but basically it showed that the emperor oh yeah the emperor knew that anakin was in trouble from like the galaxy way when he was in coruscant and anakin was fighting on um that lava planet he like knew that anakin was in trouble and that's because it's a tribute to the fact that at that point the dark side is so high on the rise and so the emperor being the embodiment of it is like flushed with power to the point where you can like tell what's going on a galaxy away and that's that's how he's able to pull off this giant move of siphoning the force energy of padme into anakin and it's and it's an interesting theory but it just it kind of bothered me i'm not gonna lie that that sounds like some really fucked up expanded universe stuff that they they probably retconned out of existence now. yeah yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised but i mean like what other explanation is there that she died of a broken heart like Give me a fuck break. I'll give you a great explanation. It's just horrible writing from George Lucas. Probably. I mean, I would I would swallow that theory if they had explained that in the film. Like, okay, that's the universe they're going to live in. Fine. I accept that. But mm. as an audience member, you know what? I'm bound by what I see on the screen when I'm watching the film. Like, I can't read, like, you know, an additional pamphlet they're going to hand up with it before the screening. Like, here's what happens on the Mustafar scene. <laughs> Didn't the robots that were taking care of her say, oh, she's lost the will to live? Yeah, something yeah, like that. that. That was there, too. I, I don't think if you lose your will to live, you just all of a sudden die. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh. I don't feel like dying anymore. I'm just going to... I'm just going to stop my heart right now from beating and shut down my circulatory system. Goodbye, world. Maybe that works in George Lucas's world, I guess. Like, he does have kind of a simplistic take on a lot of things in the prequels. Mm. And Sam, I think you brought up a good point about the lightsaber battles. I totally agree with you that I was underwhelmed by the Anakin-Obi-Wan fight. I yeah. thought it was actually pretty anticlimactic. I mean, yeah. Uh, it just wasn't exciting. I actually thought the, the fight between the Emperor and Yoda was more exciting. Definitely. It was, it was only about half the screen time that the Anakin-Obi-Wan fight got. Yeah. Because, I mean, Anakin is, Anakin, you know, in terms of force powers, Anakin's way up there, no doubt. Um, Emperor is also crazy up there, though. And Yoda, Yoda's more powerful than Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's like, if we go off, I kind of go off the whole Knights of the Old Republic games released for Xbox. And I think where they were on, were they, they weren't on PlayStation, actually, I don't think. Um, and 
the Obi-Wan is like a sentinel, so he's like, he's not um, a super fat, powerful force user like Qui-Gon is, a counselor level, and he's not a um, warrior class, I'm forgetting what, what it's called, uh, a guardian. He's not like a super powerful lightsaber user. He's in between, so he's not. He's a jack-of-all-trades type guy. He's not going to be as powerful, and it just it wasn't as exciting, whereas otherwise you got like Yoda, who's I'd say more of a counselor, powerful, more probably force user, and the Emperor <laughs> is like that as well, probably the equivalent Sith class. So it's just, you know, we got two super powerful guys going against each other, and then we got one much more powerful guy, but, you know, Obi-Wan is tricky, and that's how he beats Anakin. I, certainly one theory. <laughs> he's, more, what, he's, he's more strategic, <laughs> he's less clouded by anger, you know, all that all that jazz if you want to say that instead but it just you know it's pretty cool like like you were saying grant like we see fucking the emperor throwing like senate senate state uh holders and everything for all the people in the senate like at yoda like here take this one take this one and he starts spinning it and throwing it at him that was fun Did you say they were called senate holders <laughs> <laughs> whatever they were called the things for the the little the, platforms for the senators the floaty chair things yeah <laughs> They're like party boats, but they can hover. Party, yeah. <laughs> party boats. Because everybody knows there's a really good party going on in the Senate all the time. You know why? Why not? It's like they could probably do bumper Senate boats or whatever up there, but you know when they're not in session, the you know the guards play it. Prequels, yeah. The worst part of all the prequels being those stupid Senate scenes where they just they debate tax policy and stuff. Whoa, so you're not going to defer your motion for the formation of a committee to explore the validity of that accusation? Uh, Misa propose. Yes, Jar Jar, the, the guy who brought down the whole Republic in one afternoon. And that's what leads me into my worst uh, Star Wars movie, and that is Attack of the Clones. Mm. And starts for me with the stupid name attack of the clones i mean they could have at least called it the clone wars or something mm. like that so yeah. that it would be something that people understood from the original trilogy but there's a bunch of stupid stuff in this movie i, I just gonna rattle it off very quickly off the top of my head uh cgi yoda who looks pretty fake 10 years later i gotta say uh well 10 plus years but he looks very fake uh i didn't like how they made him uh, this wacky, jump-off-the-wall spinning lightsaber guy, warrior, when, I don't know, that's not what the character was about ever, and I, I just hated that. I mean, it was cool when I saw it on screen, Yeah. but it just, it soured the more times I saw it. And then, you know, clearly there's no villain in the movie. There's no strong central villain. I mean, I love Christopher Lee, Big fan of his, but Count Dooku, not very villainous in my opinion. Uh, he's kind of forgettable and evidenced by the fact that he gets killed within the first 10 minutes of Revenge of the Sith anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you have no investment in the character. <laughs> so, um, he didn't really have any investment in Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones either. And I don't get this whole Confederacy thing with the Geonosian guys who are supposed to be threatening, but they look like giant mosquito people that you can <laughs> swat. Yeah, it, it, very stupid. And then the plot stuff itself. Oh, my God. Like the love story stuff between uh. Anakin and Padme. Just some of the worst writing in sci-fi film history. Oh, my God. I, I don't think that Stanley Kubrick could have made a more sterile 2001-like scene out of that romance because it was completely sterile. 
Mm. No chemistry between them at all. Um, what can I say also? Just the stupid things that people do in the movie that make no sense whatsoever. Like Anakin decides that the safest place for them to go off of Naboo is to Tatooine. <laughs> I mean, why? No, more like oh, he just wants to I, see his mom. Because I had a bad dream about my mother. <laughs> I hate sand. It gets in everything. Yeah, and that whole thing with him being an emo guy, I really... Oh, God. Hayden Christensen... Just kills no, everyone. Right. Well, to be fair to him, he wasn't given great material to work with, but he just plays it so like this petulant, annoying child, man-child kid. And That's the perfect way to put it. He was totally a man-child. Man-child kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, like, I say like the big tease is like throughout the whole movie this clone army thing, right? Mm. And they introduce all these concepts that we've never heard anything about them. Like they introduce like oh this Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas <laughs> the order in for the clone army like ten years ago, and this Jango Fett guy is the template and stuff. And it's like okay, who the fuck is Sifo-Dyas? Like maybe they could at least explain that or have like a reference to him earlier in the movie. Yeah, they just and, give him like a quick. I think, like, a one-sentence thing. It's like, oh, he was an old Jedi Master who disappeared right. or thought was lost. The only cool things about the movie, really, was the clone battle at the end just because it was eye candy. Yeah. And Jango Fett. I mean, I like the character of Jango Fett, and I like the sequences with him and Slave One and Obi-Wan chasing him in the Starfighter with the sonic charges. That that was cool. Yeah. Uh, and... But then again, too, they turn it around. They cool, They created this very cool character, Jango Fett, and then, bam, he just gets killed in, like, one swipe of Samuel L. Jackson's blade. Yeah. I thought the Jedi fight, too, in the, the um, arena was eye candy, too, when all the Jedi, of course, show up and start fighting all the droids. Yeah, it's, and, but my complaint about that just... These guys are supposed to be Jedi Masters, right? Yeah. And you can tell that George Lucas just pulled in like a bunch of no-name people with no training. Oh, yeah. No choreography training off the streets. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put my cousin in it and my, you know, my brother and stuff like that. Hey, you want to be part of the Jedi Army? Come on right. over here. And you can tell when you look on the screen how they're fighting with the lightsabers. They're just swooshing them back and forth like you know no skill whatsoever when you know these are supposed to be the greatest jedi of their time they should be doing like backflips and doing crazy acrobatics and stuff like that and we don't see any of that they're just like well, uh, let me swing it around a little bit <laughs> i mean just a disappointing movie i just think it it went on way too long like there's that very long intercessory period between anakin getting sent to be the queen's protector yeah, and them actually moving the story forward to Geonosis because what happens in between that is basically just like one big Galactic Senate scene where they're just filling it up with information. Mm. Just not exciting at all. I... That whole scene in the factory was boring as fuck where they're like on Geonosis and like, oh, you lost your lightsaber again. Damn it. Let me jump through all these hoops and everything. Yeah, the only funny part about that was, like, R2-D2 flying around the place. That was it. Yeah. I thought you meant the factory scene where Obi-Wan looks in the factory for, like, ten seconds and then goes to find the secret meeting where there's the guy twisting his nipples to change <laughs> his voice. Oh, God, yeah, the, the Confederacy people. Yeah, lest we forget the meeting of the conspirators there, all the fucked-up reject prop aliens Stan Winston had in his garage. Yeah, it... 
It's just really bad. So, with that said, we each had a different choice for hmm. worst Star Wars movie. It's I don't interesting. know. I, I I really disagree with Revenge of the Sith being the worst one. I I agree with all your criticisms of it, but I thought that the story actually moved forward at a fairly good pace in that film, although it was still too long. And Phantom Menace, I I have to say that eh, I there are, are the totality of the movie is still bad, but the elements save it for me. The yeah, me too. battle, Qui-Gon, he's kind of a dumbass and what he does in the movie, but still he's, a, I think he's a good Jedi played a great Jedi. Yeah. And that was before Liam Neeson became a huge action hero. Like he is these days before his family started getting kidnapped constantly. Yeah. And taken and everything. And he had to fight off wolves in like the Alaskan wilderness. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess my, and Grant kind of raised this point with Attack of the Clones, my only real problem with that movie is that instead of having maybe some kind of interesting exploration of these effectively fungible clone soldiers versus fungible robots, maybe some sort of deeper exploration there instead of just having them shoot at each other, mm-hmm. they elected to just have them shoot at each other, so that kind of bugged me. And Attack of the Clones never really... I don't know. This one, see, I think I have to take the opposite view of your interpretation of the Phantom Menace. That Attack of the Clones overall, I think the movie gets from point A to point B, but the the little constituent parts that accomplish that just bug the shit out of me. Like Yoda goes from being the luminous beings, or we not crude matter, trying to explain to Luke why the X-wing isn't heavier than a rock, like in the real grand scheme of things to jumping off the wall and deflecting Count Dooku's rock shower attack from Gone of Legends. Like, it's just... Gauntlet Legends. Yeah, it's awful, but I understand, like, the point A to point B. When the, when it ends, I get that we're starting the Clone War, although I, I also take issue with the title, because Attack of the Clones is usually, like, the clone should have been the antagonist. Yeah. When it's Attack of the something, like, Attack of the, the Aliens, Attack of the Saucer Men, like, it, those it are the bad like guys. A, yeah, it sounds like a dumb... B movie from the fifties. Yeah, but they're the more importantly they're the bad guys though. So that should something the clones in the title fine, but Attack of the Clones makes it sound like you know Anakin's going to be jerking off in the Jedi Temple one day, and then clones are attacking like the. It's, it's almost it, like they were trying to do a preview of the last movie when the clones get Order like sixty six to attack the Jedi, but this is the second movie, not the third movie. So that's not what your title should be. Oh, please. Order 66 wasn't written down or thought of when Attack of the Clones was on the script pad. <laughs> that was thought of the day before filming. I'm giving them too much credit. Yeah. You have to remember George Lucas rushed these scripts out in, you know, 36 hours Jeez. before shooting started. Yeah. Doesn't he always claim, though, that he had the whole story written Yeah, he had it all set up in his head beforehand. Like the early 70s or something, and it was just, like, too long to be, like, one big movie. Well, no, he, he couldn't do the prequels the way he wanted to in the 70s. <laughs> So I guess he couldn't have a big clone army battle fighting robots in the 70s, which, okay, fair enough, but then you somehow managed to pull off, like, the entire Battle of Endor just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy Georgie Boy's excuses. The third one, I, I, I understand, like, why why you liked it and everything, and there are good things in it, but part of the reason the third really pissed me off was because we knew Padme... And we knew Padme was going to die. Yeah, I mean, that was inevitable and everything. Because we knew Leia and Luke were orphans. Well, not orphans, but, you know, that their mother was dead. It kind of felt like, 
there was a lot of expectations. It's almost like a series finale, and like like Battlestar Galactica's series finale, there was it was kind of controversial. People, some people liked it, some people didn't. I felt like it was a cop out the way she died and everything, and I was like, you know what? This is supposed to be setting us up for the amazing original movies, and this is how you're going to play it. Really, like after all this, this is what you're going to do, and that just pissed the hell out of me. Whereas one, I got the fun lightsaber battle. Darth Maul was a great villain, and I wish that I wish that Darth Maul hadn't been killed in the first movie. I wish that he had been around in the other ones because he would have been entertaining to watch. And the second was there was some fun eye candy. The lightsaber battles, at least with Jango Fett, was more fun too than the. It's you know what the lightsaber battles are a big part of it for me, and the third one just like you said it underwhelmed me, and because of that, that really put it down along with the shitty ending that they gave it. Well, the, the reason why I, I just I wouldn't put the Revenge of the Sith as the worst movie just I I think we finally got the payoff in that we got to see Anakin walking around in Darth Vader's shoes. Yeah. Both literally and figuratively because there's that whole big part of the movie where he has become Darth Vader but he's not in the suit of armor yet. He's you know, he's still Anakin Skywalker, but he's evil. And I thought that was really cool. That was a good payoff. But then at the same time, I was disappointed that they teased Darth Vader in being in this movie throughout like all the marketing materials and stuff. And yet he's only in, you only see actually Darth Vader in about the last 10 minutes of the film, which is, uh, you know, I, I would have rather they sped the film up a little bit and had Anakin's fight with Obi-Wan a little earlier and, you know, had him in the Darth Vader suit for more of the movie. Mm. Yeah, that would have been fun. That's what would have worked better for me, and the only way to accomplish that would be to erase Attack of the Clones, you know, and just speed up that movie, speed up The Phantom Menace, so we don't need a third movie in there. Mm. So what's it going to be? What do you... Or is anybody going to acquiesce and and give up their vote for which one is the worst, or is it going to nope. be forever? No, nah, I still hated the third one. Divided. Yeah, I just can't get over the first one. But I do have to cite on episode three quickly that there was a really strange departure in how Attack of the Clones and The Phantom Menace were relatively bloodless. And then episode three, we have Anakin impliedly murdering children in the like the headmaster's office there, the Jedi Council chamber. And then Anakin getting burned alive to become like the Bacon Crispy Man. Oh yeah, it was PG thirteen. Right, PG. but my point is that that was like a everyone was oh my god the violence is unbelievable. But they forgot that in A New Hope, within the first half an hour, Luke's aunt and uncle go from being Aunt you know Beru and Uncle Owen to being charred smoking corpses outside the little house. Like I don't know, I just wanted to, to drop in here and register my surprise that people. Thinking back, I guess, we're honestly surprised how, you know, dark and violent episode three was. Like, you know, the original series began with two people being executed by stormtroopers and being burned alive. Like, mm. just, you know, lest we forget. Well, I mean, the second one did have him murder all the sand people. But again, that was, like, not, it wasn't very bloody. It was just, like, sterile. You know, yeah. They get caught with a lightsaber and they go, and they fall over. And we don't even know, it's not widely known that, like, what they look like under those masks. I right. guess they're not like so it takes away I guess their humanity a bit. 
Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that for the the amount of the furor that popped up over episode three supposedly violent content, I think people need to go back and watch, you know, uh, episode four, Aunt, Aunt uh, Beru, Uncle Owen getting burned alive, um, Empire Strikes Back, Han Solo being tortured. Mm. Uh, that's pretty dark. Mm. Yeah, Luke's hand getting cut off. Like, plenty of dark shit happened, everybody. I just want to make that very clear that episode three shouldn't be disqualified on that basis alone. Yeah. Okay. So what were what were the other ones that you guys had? What's your order? Mine was uh Attack of the Clones, worst, not giving that up. Uh then The Phantom Menace and then Revenge of the Sith. I think Revenge of the Sith was the best prequel. I'm I'm actually in I'm in um opposite order than they came out. I went my my the worst in my mind it went Revenge of the Sith. Attack of the Clones, and then um, the Phantom Menace. Why is the Phantom Menace the best to you? Because Darth Maul. Darth Maul was a big part of it. Liam Neeson was actually like a believable Jedi, despite all the faults, flaws with him, and everything. And uh, there was, and you know, it was almost like there was still. We knew the Emperor was the bad guy and everything, but it was still kind of up in the air. And there was a hope that's like, okay, well, they could develop this. This could be better. So it was almost like. I still had a lot of optimism, and also the whole stupid love storyline between Anakin and Padme, thankfully, wasn't explored because he was a fucking kid at that point. So it was it had the least shitty things in it, in my mind, which is why it was the top, but it's by no means a clear-cut victory, but they were all pretty shitty. I think that uh, we should mention pod racing. <laughs> oh yeah, pod racing. That's one of the biggest black marks against the Phantom Menace. It's great yeah. video game, bad movie. Yeah, Episode One Racer is a great game, no doubt about it. Pod racing, awful idea. Takes up way too much of the movie. Mm. I just hated it, and it was so, uh, like, you could tell they're just marketing this stuff to kids that it was it was all there to market to kids it was so stupid it was pretty shameless plugging for it i will i will admit that it's just the the you know we were saying some of the criticism like in episode two no clear villain episode one did have a clear villain for me darth like you know there was the emperor that we all knew but wasn't being said but darth maul was a pretty clear villain and i like that that gave me something to the movie and that was a big part of it. But, oh, yeah, I totally had a ton of shit wrong with it, like pod racing, definitely. Among many other things, for sure. Yeah, that's why I ranked The Phantom Menace higher than Attack of the Clones, because I agree with you about Darth Maul. I think he's way better villain than Count Dooku. What and if also, he had been I, kept alive? Imagine the series, the, the trilogy, at least even for the second movie. Well, according to George Lucas and company, uh, Darth Maul did survive. Yep, uh, he lived somehow. Right? And, and he had so, a brother, too, who was turned into a Sith. Yeah, Savage Opress. Yeah. And then uh, What was both, his name? Savage. Savage Opress. Yeah. Savage Opress? Yeah. Like no, he's oppressing Opress. somebody, he's savage? P. There's only one P. Okay, sorry, but, you know, I think I get the implication of the name. Yeah, yeah and then still, who the, the fuck Wars, writes this stuff? Uh... Savage Opress gets killed and Darth Maul gets taken prisoner by Darth Sidious and we never find out what happens because they canceled the series. I'm sure that's a big loss for everybody. Well, I mean, 
the story's picking up in Star Wars Rebels. So I haven't watched that yet, but I've heard some good things. So I'm. It's actually pretty good. I I have to say. Just I gotta say the from all the Star Wars stuff, Cartoon Network years and years ago, they did like it was animated a version of like the Clone Wars going on, and yeah. uh, in that, what's his face? Uh, the general who's like half like who's basically like a cyborg what's his name general grievous yeah general grievous in this animated version general grievous is a fucking scary ass monster forced to be reckoned with i remember there at one point there's like three jedi going at him and they literally run away because they cannot take him down because he has six arms with six lightsabers and unlike the episode two that was another reason episode two pissed me off like he doesn't just like oh, I'm just going to spin them around and let you just, like, take me out super quickly. He was moving each one independently, taking on all three three Jedi. And, like, these were not, like, one-of-the-mill, like, rookie Jedi. They seemed pretty what, legit. When did this happen? This was years and years ago. Cartoon Network had, like... Oh, no, no, in, in the movies. He, in the, wasn't in, he wasn't in episode two. It wasn't in episode two that they killed Grievous? No, it was episode three. That was three. All right. Well, he still got ta- he got taken out like a punk. And the, well, there, there we go. That's I guess that's another reason why I ranked that the worst. Because he gets taken out like a punk when originally when I first saw Grievous, he was a badass and he was something that Jedi feared. Like, how else did he get six or seven uh, or I guess it was eight lightsabers totally? Because he had three, he had six extra hands and then they had the other two and he had a saber for each hand. Like. What, he just, like, find a stock of fucking, like, lightsabers and just grab a bunch? No, he killed, like, eight Jedi. And I'm sorry, if you kill eight, there's got to be... Some of those have got to be somewhat decent. So, I mean, he just got taken out like a punk, and they really, really, really downpowered him. And I thought he would have been a cooler villain if they had done him justice. Yeah, it's, it's... It wasn't very believable to have him have killed all those Jedi, and then he gets taken down pretty easily by obi-wan there was there was never any doubt in my mind that obi-wan was gonna defeat him handily yeah yeah after the lizard race <laughs> obi-wan's riding the gigantic like the you know what you would call it they're like the giant monitor lizard yeah yeah oh, yeah and then he's like sticking the spike inside uh, general grievous's gigantic wheel machine mm-hmm. yep pretty good stuff and then he grabs the blasters and says, so uncivilized. And that's like a callback to the New Hope, and it's really funny. And everybody <laughs> in the theater goes, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yep. So, I, yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree that we dislike the prequels in general. I won't watch them unless they're on TV and I'm bored. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of weird that I hate them in the order that they arrived. Like, I really hate The Phantom Menace, and then I hate Episode 2 less and hate Episode 3 less than that. It's interesting that uh, Sam is the other way, mm. and then you kind of jumbled them up. Yeah, the only reason why Phantom Menace is not on the bottom for me is because it's the story to me is more coherent. Like there's there's a clear villain, you know, it's the Trade Federation guys, and particularly that one droid control ship is like the Death Star of the movie. In yeah, uh, and Darth Maul and Sidious. You know that they're controlling the Trade Federation guys, so you know what's going on, and the droid army is pretty obvious. And, you know, episode two just, uh, you, you don't know what's going on for a long time because it's very, there's a lot of the politics stuff, and it's very confusing. Yeah. But anyway, Clark, why don't we move on to the real, the main course here? Mm hmm. That being 
Let's talk about the original trilogy. Let's talk about the original trilogy. <laughs> what is the best, the worst of the original trilogy? How do we rank them? How are we going to disagree or agree? Okay, well, I, I think we should go with uh, Sam first this time. All right. Give us your three, Sam. Uh, it's worst to best. Worst to best? This is yeah. tough because these, were unlike the prequels, were actually good movies. Okay, well, we'll put worst in quotes. The the strongest versus the least strong. Um, all right, yeah, that, that makes it a little easier. Um, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta say one one of my favorite. The first, I don't know, the first first movie, Episode Four, is probably one of my favorites, just because it, it's a little cliche, but it's like the opening into the universe and everything, and like draw me in and show me everything from this universe. I mean, there's so many amazing things. There's I like the shock and awe of, oh yeah, the Empire, this unseen but crazy powerful force that we hear about, just kills Luke's parents. Or his, you know, parents, quote-unquote, his uncle and his um, aunt. Like, right away, it's like, oh, okay, wow, this is a pretty, like, crazy force. No pun intended. Um, they There's the, the fucking uh, scene on Tatooine with the, in the bar. Very fun, too. Like, wow, this is an interesting universe, or interesting universe that we're being shown in. Here's the scum of the universe, and of course we have Han Solo coming into the game. Um, Millennium Falcon, Jabba the Hutt's put in. And just, you know, as the story goes on, there's so many fun things that, that go through my mind about that movie. It's hard to find some really bad points of it. The non-traditional rescue of the princess, um, where, you know, they, they rescue her, but at the same time, they also need some rescuing themselves. Uh, and there's, uh, let me think, how it it all it doesn't end with him. Does it? Does episode four end with him going off to see Yoda? It's been a while since I've seen them. No, no it just... ends with them having the metal ceremony oh, yeah. at yeah, the Yavin yeah, base yeah. after they destroy he, the Death Star. He goes to he goes to see Yoda on Dagobah and the middle of Empire Strikes Back after Obi Wan shows up in the snowbank and it's like you need to go to Dagobah. Mm. Yeah. So so episode one, episode four is probably I guess it's my favorite. It's hard though because Revenge of the or um, the Empire Strikes Back, the battle scene on Hoth is also an amazing opening. It's hard to top that as well. Talk about one of my favorite video game levels of all time, like in almost any Star Wars game, is the Hoth level. And there's always a Hoth level because it's so hard to beat, like and using fucking um, cables to take down these huge tanks of the, uh, not the, uh, are they At-Ats? Yeah, AT-ATs. AT-ATs. And taking AT-AT walkers done. Such a fun challenge, such a video game thing, without even trying to be it. I don't know if they had that in mind, because video games weren't that... They weren't. Back then, they weren't. They couldn't do shit like that. It just became something that was like, wow, this would be perfect for a video game. But they weren't trying to do it, versus The Phantom Menace, where it's like, oh, let's put in a racing kind of side scene or series, so that way we can also make a video game about it. It's what they tried to copy from the original series, which, except they just did it shamelessly, and whereas the original series wasn't trying to do that, and it worked out nicely, organically, the prequel series just did it on purpose, and it was a piece of shit. So I'll say episode four is my favorite, I guess. And, uh, you want me, and I guess then, I loved episode, episode, um, Episode 2 was a lot of fun, too. Hoth, it's hard to put it. See, it's hard for me to do least strongs out of these because I love the Cloud City with Lando, too, and that's a great part of 
of the trilogy as well. You mean episode five. Sorry, episode five. Yeah, I love episode five as well because the Cloud City is a lot of fun. One of my favorite scenes is, and that is uh, when Han Solo walks into the fucking dining room and he sees Darth Vader and so he's oh, fuck. And he just takes out his blaster and shoots him. And it's like, thank you for doing something that, you know, everyone might say, why don't you just shoot him at some point? He actually does it. And it's like, okay, well, you tried. I appreciate that. And, and the Cloud City was just beautiful, I thought, in terms of, like, cinematography and everything. Um, I guess maybe I'll say the weak, the least strong, although it's, it's still amazing, was um, the, Reve- the... What's the name of the episode six? Return of the Jedi. Thank Although, you. Interestingly enough, it was originally titled Revenge of the Jedi. I'm sure a lot of people probably know that listening huh. to this, but I always thought it was funny. Yeah, it, all right, so I guess Return of the Jedi is, I think, the least strongest because the whole... Bell on Endor is fun, but it seems a little more comical and lighthearted than the rest of the series. And yeah. I, I liked how the serious tone of the first two movies, and I thought it was brought down a bit in the third one. And, and people should know that when we're talking about this, we're, we're basically basing our opinions off of the original theatrical versions and... The 1997 special edition up to the 2004 DVD releases, which were basically the 1997 editions with just a few more tweaks. Um, I don't look at the stuff that came after that, all the releases they did after that, as something I want to watch. No. Just because he started changing way too much stuff and inserting scenes in there and just make it more and more dense, more yeah. characters, more spaceships. So when I think of Star Wars and the way I rank them, I always think of the original versions that I've got on VHS and the DVD versions that are basically from the special edition. So that said, uh, I'm going to have to disagree a little bit with Sam, and I know Clark will definitely disagree with me on this. Uh, my rank, the... Weakest of the original trilogy, Return of the Jedi. Middle, kind of like the... Sort of... It's it's not the weakest, but I don't think it's the strongest either. A New Hope, Episode 4. And my strongest Star Wars movie, Empire Strikes Back. I think it's the best Star Wars movie because it builds on everything that they introduced in A New Hope, and it takes it up to a completely new level, introduces the entire philosophy behind the Force, introduces some major characters, fleshes out other major characters. And I just think it's a really great story. It's the perfectly paced movie, and it actually sets up Return of the Jedi perfectly as a film because the characters are in the worst possible situation by the end of the movie. I just think, and what Sam said, I also agree with the art and the sequences of Empire Strikes Back are just amazing. The Hoth battle, Bezpin and Cloud City, just great. And Dagobah, I really believe that that's a place that you would find a wizened, aging Jedi Master is on this swamp planet that's full of these dank dirty creatures and stuff and that even things that you don't see that are coming for you i i love that it's captivating and i just can't say enough good things about empire strikes back i just think that the 
especially you get a lot of insight into Darth Vader's character and how the Empire works. That's really cool to me. Mm. Ah. Well, needless to say, I disagree uh, pretty completely. <laughs> I have to say that the weakest film, the least strong film in the originals, to me, is A New Hope. I like the film, but it just... It seems like it, it takes a very long time to tell the story it wants to tell, and then it ends with a parade and a little bit of like a medal ceremony, which is cool and it's still an enjoyable movie to watch. But Chewbacca yeah. doesn't get a medal too, by the way. Well, fuck I, Chewbacca. Yeah, I was I was wondering like, was he mad at the end? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what he was really saying. He was saying, "What the fuck?" He doesn't care. Han Solo owns him, so he's cool with it. He's Han Solo's little valet man. <laughs> But it, it's just, it teases you at the beginning with the Star Destroyer and the Stormtroopers and the battle on the Blackhead Runner. And it's saying, like, mm, check out this great crushing hand of the Empire. We're going to kill this kid's parents. And, okay, great, you've got me. I'm interested. Some time later, okay, now we're going to resolve, you know, the whole portion of this big threat we introduced with the Death Star. Okay, everybody gets the medal. Movie's over. High five. <laughs> it's enjoyable, and it's a fun ride, and I will of course watch it over any of the prequels any day but it just it teases me too much with the possibilities of what might come and granted I'm probably poisoned by having read a good deal of the EU books and everything mm. so I, for the same reason that Sam likes it and that it introduces you to a new universe I kind of dislike it a little bit because it introduces you to a new universe and then it says okay but we're only going to show you this little sliver of it <laughs> you want more I want more yeah and then Empire's in the middle for me. I like Empire Strikes Back a lot, but my favorite is Return of the Jedi. Mm. Is I think it, it brings everything full circle, number one. Number two, uh, Darth Vader. There's, I can't stress enough that I like the conflict resolution in the end where Darth Vader finally figures out that he's going to choose his son over the crazy old guy who made him kill his wife and throw him down a mine shaft. And in the version that I like, he doesn't say no before he does it. Yeah, fuck yeah. That, that doesn't exist. And Hayden Christensen is not a ghost. And the end music is Ewoks playing the xylophone on Stormtrooper helmets. Yes. It's the Yub Yub song, not kids singing in a choir. (laughs) So I just want to make it clear, that's the version of Return of the Jedi that I consider my favorite. I like the beginning. I think that's great, where Luke shows up to Jabba. Yeah, that is cool. That is one of my favorite parts of that movie. And tells him how it's going to be and says, look, you know, you let my friends go. Or, well, you know, you're fucked. And then Jabba tries to trick him, give him to the rancor. That doesn't work out. And then there's the great scene on the the sail barge out where Luke gives Jabba one last chance to get his shit in order, and Jabba just refuses to learn, so he's taught a lesson. I mean, he gets choked out by Princess Leia, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, his death is really funny. And there's some really strong character moments, like even before Hansel is going to get thrown into the Sarlacc pit, he's being sarcastic with Luke, saying, mm, there's not much to see out here. You're going to die here. It's convenient. Oh, Luke, Luke said, I grew up here, you know, and he yeah. said, yeah, you're going to die here. <laughs> it's convenient. <laughs> yeah, it's a really strong, I like, just think that it has the best example of these characters being themselves that we've grown to know over the course of the movies. And not to mention that it also, like I said, I've read a lot of the EU books and stuff, so I'm a little poisoned, but it has a lot of cool people, like... In the Battle of Endor, you could see Wedge Antilles and Lando blow up the Death Star, and even though it's a little tangential piece, I know how that fits into the overall puzzle, so it just makes me like it even more. So they were really blowing up IG-88? Yeah, they're blowing up IG-88, 
and you can point out the A-wing that uh, Ty- Tycho Tycho is in, the other guy from Rogue Squadron. Yeah. Yep, you can, um, let's see, you know who's dying on the Superstar Destroyer bridge that gets smashed by the A-wing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Piet. Yep. Learns a very dangerous lesson. Um, I don't know, I just can't say enough good things about the movie. I really like it, and I think that it, all the philosophy that gets set up, Yoda dying and explaining to Luke that, you know, not even the Force can save you from dying, and then Obi-Wan's ghost visiting him a second time and saying, look, you know, Yoda may not have been totally honest with you, he was kind of full of shit. <laughs> like, let's be clear here, there's probably some more to the story that you ought to know about. I just mm. like that resolution to the student going to the master story. The master dies, and then the the master's other student says, hey, you know, not for nothing, but uh, the old man had a few secrets he wasn't divulging. Let me go ahead and tell you about them now. <laughs> I think it's just the strongest showing of the characters in the original three. Mm. Yeah, you, you gotta admit though, it it's a pretty disjointed movie. I don't think so. Really? No. Because that's to me, that's what always strikes me when I watch it, is that we start out in that sequence of the Death Star, and then immediately we're at Jabba's Palace, right? And then so basically half the movie then is Jabba's Palace, um, Luke coming to rescue Han Solo, the sail barge battle, that kind of stuff. And then we jump completely 180 direction. We're at Endor. There's a, you know, the battle of Endor, Luke's battle with the Emperor and Darth Vader, that whole thing, the resolution. I just, the other two films, it seemed like there was much more of a consistent story told throughout. And that's kind of always just, I really love Return of the Jedi, but that's always the thing that kind of just irked me is it's really kind of two mini movies to me fused together. Like one movie, Jabba the Hutt gets slain. And then second movie, Emperor and Darth Vader get killed. I think you may be overestimating the time they spend on Tatooine, though. It's not really that long. I mean, I think that the real, the halfway point of the movie is where Mon Moth was given the briefing with uh, the hologram of the Death Star and everything. Like, well, if, yeah, in, in terms of actual time on screen, yeah, you're right. It just feels like, to me, those are the two main thrusts of the story, and they're completely divergent. Well, I think they have a lot to do with each other, and that's maybe the fault of Empire, because Han Solo gets taken away by Boba Fett to be delivered to Jabba in Carbonite. Mm. I mean, the logical resolution to that would be, like, to throw up, what, like, a title card saying, you know, Jabba the Hutt lost his stuff in, a, like, a fire sale or something, <laughs> the, the bank repossessed Han Solo, and they bought him at auction. Yeah, sure, maybe. Like, you got to show the way they resolve that. And I, I think that if you want to say that the, there's a disjoint between the tone, like, Empire Strikes Back has so many different settings, I don't see how you can say that's, like, a uniform <sighs> story, because you're bouncing back and forth between at least five locations in the movie, and A New Hope, the first half of it is we're going to be on the Death Star to rescue you, and the second half is now going to an epic space battle. Like, I get your point that there's a lot going on, but I think that it works in Return of the Jedi the same way it works in Empire and A New Hope. Maybe to me it's more to do with the villains than it is anything else. So the other two movies, the antagonist is pretty clear throughout, and it's a recurrent thing. It's the Empire in one way or another. To me, in Jedi, it's like we spend all that time in the movie just dealing with Jabba the Hutt's gangster thugs. 
and then immediately we're completely done with them and we go to it's the empire again and then of course i will have to say that there's a little black mark for me the ewoks i don't like them never have never will no i don't really care for the ewoks either but i don't really think they're fatal to the film like i find them annoying and i realize that they're like george lucas's first foray into making toys out of characters yep i get that but it's just they're a minor annoyance they're yeah they're they're relatively minor and again i would say to like the amount of time they spend with jabba like han solo gets delivered at the end of empire like if you're not going to have a resolution with Jabba, like, what are you going to do? You have to confront him and his gangster thugs. Well, yeah, I don't think there any was any other way to do it. That's just the way the movie feels to me. And maybe it's inevitable. Like, he couldn't have told it any other way and not have to have made a fourth movie, right? Right, I think it's kind of inevitable that the story's set up that way. If they wanted to do it differently, they would have had to have put... Either made Empire longer or put the whole Han Solo being stolen in Carbonite earlier so they could have resolved that or started to resolve it in Empire. Yeah, I just I just will always think Empire is the superior movie. I think Empire is a great movie, and it's really sad that... Uh, I was going to fuck up his first name, but uh, Kirshner. Irvin Kirshner? Yeah, that I think he's the, the guy who has that quote about there aren't enough people around George who challenge him enough. Mm. Yeah, because Kirsch certainly did challenge George on yeah. the set of that film. Which is why I think Empire is a really strong film, and Richard Marquand obviously challenged George Lucas too, which is why Return of the Jedi has its own voice. Right, sad too that Richard Marquand died in a car crash, didn't right. he? Right, yeah. What, Very I guess, shortly after the movie was completed, right? Yeah, he yeah. did. Which is unfortunate for him, and equally unfortunate for everybody else. I don't know, it just kind of pisses me off overall that uh, both Kirshner and Marquand are dead now, but... To Grant's original point about we're talking about the VHS 1993-97 versions, just pisses me off that George Lucas has gone and like changed these directors' visions and either made these two guys' original stories, the original takes they had on Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, either bonus features on the DVD, which is like a slap in the face, mm. or going so far as to say, oh, we drew on the original negative, so there's no way to get them back. I don't believe that. I don't believe it either, but just what a thing to say that like these two guys come and make these really strong interpretations of your script in their own vision, and then you say, well, yeah, but you know, fuck that. We drew in the negative so we could put more CGI guys in the middle of the Tatooine scene. Oh. Yeah, I didn't... You know, those are two things that actually decrease Empire for me a little bit. If, if we go forward and talk about the 97 and 2004 versions, I, I really don't like the changes that he made to that. You know, some of them are very small, like Darth Vader's shuttle arriving on the Super Star Destroyer, but other ones, like, completely changing the sequence with the Emperor. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was just, it didn't feel right. I mean, they actually took out, they completely took out the Clive Revel footage and they put in uh, all new lines, and a lot of it just didn't yeah, didn't make sense to me. I mean, I thought that the original version was much more mysterious and made you th- more interested in what was going on. Whereas the new version, they kind of he just comes out and tells you like, "Oh yeah, the guy dest- who destroyed the Death Star, he's our enemy. He must be the son of Anakin Skywalker." Blah blah blah. And you know, up prior to that point in the original 
movies, you hadn't heard the name Anakin Skywalker. You only hear it in Return of the Jedi until George Lucas went back and changed it. So I think he ruined a little bit of his own foreshadowing. Yeah, I think that's kind of my point, is that it wasn't necessarily his foreshadowing. Because his original scripts for these movies were rewritten and reinterpreted by the people who actually made them. Right, they ruined Kirshner's foreshadowing. Right, so when he went back and changed it, I guess he wanted to do it in his own way, which is very direct, and I'm going to explain to you exactly what's happening. Like, They might as well have called the the villains in the prequels like Count Bad Guy <laughs> yeah. for all the subtlety he's going to employ. And to your point on the visual of the Emperor talking, you mean when he's talking to Darth Vader on the hologram room? Yeah. Yeah, the original of the old lady with the chimp eyes superimposed, like rotoscoped chimpanzee eyes into the hood. That was fucking creepy. Because you didn't see what yeah. was really behind the shroud of the Emperor. Like, oh my god, like what's going on? And then the payoff is in Return of the Jedi, where you see, like, yeah, he looks fucked up. Yeah, I mean, he's a creepy monster in Return of the Jedi, but when you're first being introduced to the concept of the Emperor, like Darth Vader's boss, you know, pull us out of the asteroid field, I don't give a fuck if it damages a ship, I gotta talk to the Emperor. And it's just this creepy old face. You can kind of make out the outline. And there are these just like these weird inhuman eyes staring at you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's the mystique of the big bad. It's it's nice not knowing what exactly it is. And that just adds to... It lets your mind kind of create how much worse it is. So that way, when you eventually do see it, it's, it's already been built up to a point And it isn't le- a total letdown. Yeah. And that's something that George... I guess he just didn't understand or didn't care about, like Clark said, in the first movie, We're ta- if we're talking about the Emperor, you know, we don't ever see the Emperor. He's only mentioned by name a couple times by Tarkin and some of the other guys in the little boardroom in, on the Death Star. I know, it's funny to think of it as a boardroom. Yeah, the Death Star like, boardroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we actually see a little bit of the Emperor in Empire Strikes Back in the original version, and it's very mysterious and creepy, and you want to know more, but at the same time, you're afraid of what's going on. And then in Return of the Jedi, as I said, you know, we actually meet the Emperor, and he's been built up, and he pays off, because he's really, really scary. Mm. Looking, at least. Yeah, I, I think that just is like kind of the the wider point to why we were talking about the VHS 93, 97 versions because uh, George Lucas just took a giant steaming shit on the, however you want to rank the originals, just the fact that episode four was fixed in editing. So George Lucas gets no credit for that. Just, if you watch the documentary empire of dreams, it pretty clearly explains that it was a horrible fuck up. And even Harrison Ford, I think has said like numerous times that they started blowing takes just to make George Lucas smile. Cause he was so depressed and how shitty his movie was turning out. Well, what what actually, as I recall, he shot way, way too much footage. So the movie was like three or four hours of footage, right? By the time they got done shooting, right? And they mm-hmm. had to cut that all down, which must have been a really monumental task. Well, they had to cut it down, but he had his original edit that he put together. And I think the studio's response was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then they said hey, look, you don't have the rights to this movie technically, so we're going to insist that you make like a different theatrical cut of it. Right. Which thank is why... God we've never seen the director's cut. Yeah, I was going to think, <laughs> which is why the director's cut's never been released, because I guess maybe George Lucas did sit down and watch the two of them side by side and go, hmm, yeah. Well, you know, if that ever happened, I'm sure they'd pull out the only working phaser out of the DARPA labs to prevent <laughs> Lucas from releasing that. 
Yeah, which again, I'd like to make a plug here for if you look on, around the internet and there's no legal ramification to downloading this because it's it's fair use of a, a fan edit. It's called the Despecialized Edition of Star Wars. Very good. Yeah, since you can not find uh, high quality, like Blu-ray quality of the unaltered versions... And I'm not talking about unaltered, like the stormtrooper waxes head in the beginning of A New Hope on the door. Uh, you know, unaltered as far as no CGI creatures, no Rontos freaking out in the middle of Moss Eisley, <laughs> no lizards running away, no CGI Minox, the worm in the asteroid is still a puppet, like that kind of shit. People took uh, different, all the different sources you could find, so the parts of the Blu-ray movie that George Lucas didn't fuck with, uh, original like uh, film reels sent to various theaters and stuff that were preserved, uh, prints, negatives, laserdisc copies, and this guy has seamlessly mated them all together. So it's a, a Blu-ray quality experience, but it's without any of the extra shit. It's like you're watching the original theatrical release, but it looks like it's on a Blu-ray. So I'd highly recommend everybody go out and look for Star Wars Despecialized Edition. Mm. Yeah, I I didn't know anything about them until Clark actually showed them to me, and I watched them, and they were really good. Actually, you can't really tell what's being spliced together and where the cuts are because they've done such a good job with the despecialization of these Star Wars movies that really it's like watching them on a you know a high definition screen, but it's the original theatrical cuts, and it's really cool, and you can tell it's really a labor of love that somebody would put that much time into it. I mean, probably a little too much time in my opinion, but still, uh, I appreciate their efforts because they increased my enjoyment of the film since you can only really get the originals on like bootleg VHS versions now, or you got to buy them on eBay or something like that. So right. sad. The only way I think to get the originals unaltered is to either get VHS, which will eventually die. Mm. or Laserdisc, but I don't know if Return of the Jedi was ever on Laserdisc. I, th- I think it was, uh, but my big hope is that since Disney now owns Star Wars, that they're going to go back and retcon some of George Lucas's retcons and get rid of some of uh, the, the edits he put into some of these movies. Like I think they really need to get rid of Darth Vader going, no, at the end yeah. of Return of yeah. the Jedi. That scene was perfect as it was, and he had to put that in there and ruin it. Have you guys uh, seen the documentary "The People versus George Lucas"? No, I've heard of. I've seen. I've seen titles for that, though. That's a really interesting documentary, and to Grant's point, he just made. Uh, in addition to Darth Vader saying "No," I, I think one of the better segments in that documentary is where the guy who made it says, "You know, uh, like when Luke jumps off of or falls off. I guess is more accurate. Falls off of the the whatever we're gonna call it the the spire." Yeah. In the the air vent and uh, Bespin. Oh yeah. Okay. And supposedly, as far as he's concerned, he's falling to his death. Like, in one of the special edition re-releases, he puts in a scream, so Luke falls and goes, "Oh!" While he's falling down. <laughs> but in the original, he doesn't do that. And then George Lucas took it out, so he changed his mind about whether or not Luke is going to scream when he's falling. And it's like, the point of the scene isn't that he's scared; he's falling. The point of the scene is that you know my choice is either die or join this evil asshole who said, just said he was my father. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna die. die. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the point of the scene. He's not like, oh my god, I'm falling. Oh, I wish I had a parachute. Like, 
<laughs> it's it's kind of a fundamental use lack of understanding, to, huh? Use the force. Yeah, <laughs> use the force to float up. So I I think that there's this is a, somehow turned from a rank the movies into a George Lucas is a cocksucker. Yeah. Well, look, chat. There's, there's no way to get around <laughs> it when you're ranking the movies. It's just that because he's done so much stuff to them, it affects how you perceive them. I mean, to me, one of the things that gets me about Return of the Jedi as it exists now is the stupid Jedi Rocks thing. That oh, stupid, yeah. stupid fucking song that he insisted on recording and putting in there for whatever reason and the stupid CGI characters singing the song in there absolutely retarded. Why? I don't get it. It was, right. it was a fine scene before. Why did you have to put that shit in there? I think it also ruins kind of the feel of the original scene which is sort of like a a, a quasi Middle Eastern I don't know, like bizarre kind of feel, like Jabba. It's like an opium den. Yeah, Jabba smoking yeah. a water pipe. There's somebody playing the chill music on the keyboard, <laughs> and like the most reaction you get out of like Boba Fett is just a nod at somebody, like, "Hey, like I know you, like hello." Yeah. It yeah, the tone of the scene is just all fucked up, and to I, I guess continue something Grant had said about Disney, I and I don't really care if they retcon it and taking out the changes. I just want them to offer the opportunity to buy the originals. Like, if George Lucas indeed did not draw on the negatives, which I really hope he didn't, I hope that was just his way of deflecting the issue, I hope Disney owns those now or has a copy and says, look, we're going to do a high-quality transfer release of Blu-ray, we're going to scrub them up, and we're going to put them out totally unaltered, you may purchase them at your leisure, and I would buy that. Yeah, me too. Hands down. Yeah. Um, Just just curious, uh, do, do we want to speculate as to any of the... New movies because I, I had a one one kind of burning question about about that and what you I was curious as to what you guys thought about what they might do. Ask your question, Sam. All right, there's so in uh there's there's those video game series Star Wars: The Force Unleashed, which basically had like Darth Vader had kind of a Sith apprentice, which who kind of jump starts the whole uh, rebellion. Yeah, Star Killer. Yeah, Starkiller. Who it was? The first game was great. The second game sucked major balls, and was they reused the first episode? The first level is the same as the last episode. It was so sad. Um, but there was something in one of the DLCs which made me uh, made me wonder. So, in in one of the DLCs, Starkiller defeats Luke at um, in uh, at Hoth, and. Because he he kills Darth Vader and everything, so it's completely going like off the rails there. But as a result, in like another LDLC, he fights Leia because Luke's gone, so she's the other hope. So I'm just wondering: the new movies are supposed to take like place thirty years, I think, after the last after Episode Six. So I'm just wondering: do you think because there weren't you know a whole lot of Jedi around at that point? Do you think Leia became a Jedi? I think that'd be really cool if she did. I I know in the previous expanded universe, she actually does start studying to become a Jedi and builds her own lightsaber and all the things that you have to do to complete your training. I think it'd be cool if in the new continuity that she had become a Jedi. Yeah, just make her like a master or whatever because she's going to be older and everything, but... I mean, fuck, they don't have a lot of Jedis. you think they'd use anyone they could, and Luke is super powerful, and Leia is his fucking twin, so she's clearly got to have some juice of her own. 
Yeah, I, I think, well, my only familiarity with it is the same experience, which is the, the previous, now discounted, expanded universe. And I, th- the, I think the way that they handled that was, um, you know, it, it's part aptitude, part training, and Leia has all the aptitude Luke does, but takes a different path in her life mm. and never develop it, develops her talent the way he did. So I wonder if they're going to go that route in that, you know, she's part of the the post-Empire government. Yeah. Or if she elects to go down, you know, the expanding the Jedi Order kind of thing. I know that, I, I think, actually, I should say, I think that she, or Leia's daughter, is a feature of the, the movie coming out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I have to assume there's at least some sort of family Jedi thing going on there. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, well, number one, we'll, we'll know if Harrison Ford doesn't manage to kill himself somehow. <laughs> Yeah, get like break another body part and delay filming for another like half a year. Oh, didn't you see he crashed his plane? Yeah, God. Yeah. He's Harrison Ford. Just like it's like he doesn't want to be in these movies or something. Well, he crashed it in the right spot, right onto a golf course where there were two doctors apparently <laughs> playing the hole he crashed on. No joke. Yeah. Jesus, talk about lucky uh, landing. Yeah, but I I don't really know what they're gonna do about the the Jedi thing. I hope they go that way, but I think it's equally possible they're just going to do retarded shit like, oh, Luke now has like the, the Captain Planet team of Jedi he just found under a rock somewhere. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm more excited about Rogue One. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it could be, that could that could be interesting. It just sounds like a, a cool movie. It sounds like more of a throwback to A New Hope. Because yeah. it was all about starfighter pilots and stuff and the small, scrappy Rebel Alliance. And uh, Rogue One just sounds like that since I assume it's going to be all about, um, you know, fighter pilots. And yeah. I think they got a good lead in that. Felicity Jones, uh, who was just in The Theory of Everything. That was an Oscar-nominated movie about Stephen Hawking. And, you know, she did a really good job in that. So... I, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with that because that sounds like a more exciting plot for a film about starfighters. Yeah, these the side films they've hinted at sound more interesting than the main trilogy continuation films. Rogue One sounds cool, and apparently there's like a, a Boba Fett-centric film that's somewhere in the pipe, which again, sounds cooler than... I don't know, whatever they're going to do with The Force Awakens. Yeah. I, w- I want to see how they resolve the issue with him getting eaten by the Sarlacc and <laughs> Jedi. Like, I, I know how he gets out in the expanded universe novels, but since they got rid of that, how how is he going to get out now? Well, I mean, hopefully they'll keep that, because it did kind of make sense. How, how does he get out in the expanded universe, for those uh, of us who don't know? He blows up the Sarlacc yeah. with a thermal detonator and crawls yep. out, and he's all, like, burned with acid and stuff. And then I think... Uh, another bounty hunter and his ally like nurse him back to health or something. Den- and Dengar he, yeah, and Dengar. and his wife. Right, Dengar and his wife nurse Boba Fett back to health, and then he resumes being a bounty hunter. Yeah, nice. the bounty hunter uh, trilogy by K.W. Jeter, I think. Yeah, slave ship and yeah. That. I, the Amazon reviews say they're confusing because he uses a lot of big words, but they're really good books. Yeah, they were they were excellent. I I enjoyed those a lot. But actually, the story where he gets out of the Sarlacc, that was actually from another EU stuff, Tales from Tales of the Bounty Hunters, right? Yes, tell, that was yeah. from KW... I think KW Jeter wrote that 
short story in oh. Tales of the Bounty Hunter and then wrote the novels like as the expansion of that. Oh, or maybe cool. he wrote the short story after, but yeah. Yeah, because, you know, for everybody who's listening out there, don't don't pay attention to what, like, Disney is doing with this stuff. They're going to make a new continuity, fine, but still, that shouldn't stop you from going out and picking up these old Expanded Universe novels if, if right. you haven't already. Don't take Bob Iger's word for it. Right. They're worth reading. Yeah, because Tales of the Bounty Hunters is great, and there's a whole lot of good stories in the Expanded Universe. Some Tales, shitty ones, too. But. Tales from Jabba's Palace. Yeah, that's... Tales of uh, well, Tales from the Cantina. <laughs> My only advice would be to stay away from the the Goosebumps Star Wars thing, whatever that was. The Galaxy, oh, the of, Galaxy Fear. of Fear. Oh, yeah. is that where they were like <laughs> zombie stormtroopers? Yes, <laughs> like that. I would stay away from the Star Wars crossing over into that shit. I mean, granted, they were young adult novels, but still. I'm just kind of like, curious. I'm not gonna lie, I love zombies, so I'm almost curious to see just what happens in that story. I wouldn't treat it as real, but. I'd love to see how lightsabers up against zombies would be interesting. No, 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 there are no lightsabers. Oh, really? No, it's about two orphan brother and sister, I think, who travel around with their shape-shifting uncle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Losing and, me already. Yeah, and they they encounter like the Millennium Falcon with Luke Skywalker on it one time for 30 seconds. Well, don't they encounter a bunch of people, a bunch of major characters? Like they, I know there's one story where they encounter Darth Vader and like they hang out with Darth Vader for like. Yes, Darth, <laughs> Darth Vader's in there. Boba Fett. They chat with Boba Fett, who seems like the guy who wouldn't chat with you. Yeah. Yeah. It, I. How? It just, how are, just tell me how are spoilers and everything? How are zombies created in it? As I recall, they're not really zombies, or they're not zombies in the. The George Romero, the dead walking sense. They're zombies in the original, like Haitian voodoo sense, I believe. Mm. But I, Dang. this is like reaching back at least twelve years in my life right now, so it's difficult. No, sure. more than that. It's always a pleasure to eat a Jedi's brain. Eighteen years, I think. Last time I read those, yeah, it was like <laughs> eight. So it's been a while. Yeah. But I remember they suck. <laughs> Not surprising. So I'd like to just note that for the record. So circling back then, so I guess Clark is never going to agree with me nope. that Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie. Uh, I'm nope. a little, I'm a little torn because I, I go between episodes uh, four and five because five did have a lot of cool things. I, I, I would go another day. I might say episode five is my favorite. No, that's that's fine. I mean, we all have different uh, different lists, and it's interesting that. Um, no, it's not fine. There must be one. <laughs> there can be only one. So for a bonus round, though, I was thinking, too, uh, since I am a huge sci-fi nerd, uh, I do have all the Star Wars soundtracks. I don't know about you guys. You know, actually, guys, can we just take a quick second break? I just need to go take a piss really, really badly. That's okay. staying in the podcast. <laughs> all right. I'll be right back. So, sorry about that. I was fucking dying. No, no, it's cool. It's we're on like one minute sixteen without it. Okay. And we're on one minute eighteen ish right now, or one not one minute. Fuck, one hour eighteen minutes. Yeah, I was about to say we've been longer than a minute. Uh, all right. Um, so the, go the on. Soundtrack ranking. You're picking it back up. Yeah. So I was I was wondering. I know what my rankings are, and if you guys could share with our listeners what you think the rankings for the Star Wars soundtracks are or should be, if you do indeed listen to them or have listened to them? Um, 
I, I don't own them or anything, and I can't say I've listened to them a whole lot lately, but the one that really sticks out in my mind is uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I completely agree. That was, to me, it's a tie between Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back for the best soundtrack, because I think that they do... John Williams, he did a really great job with A New Hope, and then he expanded the themes and introduced a lot of new material in Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi just built on that and amped it up so far. I think they're just really superior presentations of material in that you know he originally generated in A New Hope. Just they really sound great. I just I just love listening to them. The themes are so I don't know, they're so cool. I just love it. It's very fun. I would have to say I like Return of the Jedi soundtrack the most overall, but my favorite individual piece of music I think is Yoda's theme music from uh Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Oh yeah, I love that one. I think I think that did a great job of presenting you really got a sense of the character through the music. Like the music is somewhat playful but then underneath that there's this kind of like wizened weariness because he is like 800 years old and there's also kind of a melancholy because he lives on this desolate swampy planet and he is like the last jedi the last jedi master and he's living in exile yeah the yoda's introduction theme i think you're right carries a lot of notes about the character but also the the I guess just the little the few bars that play when he's lifting the X wing out of the water I think that's just one of the strongest scenes in the whole Star Wars like movie universe. Right. I mean, if, if there's like one encapsulation of Star Wars to me, it's that scene because that's yeah. the philosophy. Where he's explaining to Luke that like all this the preconceived notions you have about reality that you need to set those aside. It's, I think it's what the the Wachowski siblings were lifting from when they did the there is no spoon thing. It's the same idea like. This arbitrary rules about what's heavy and what's light and mass and weight it just it's not really applicable to what's going on, so you need to set them aside. And I think that's a very strong explanation of the the philosophy behind the force. Yeah, they should have hired Irving Kirshner and Richard Marquand too. Yeah, uh somebody I think, should have said no to them. Yeah, I mean Richard Marquand was dead, but Kirsch was alive for the Matrix sequel, so they could have wheeled him in there. Yeah, they really needed somebody to say no to them. But or, anyway. You know, I yeah. yeah, I think even Zack Snyder could have probably said no to them I effectively. Think the soundtracks, as far as the the most forgettable ones, I'm going to have to go again with Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. I mean, just uh, there's only a few tracks in that whole thing that are really memorable, and the rest of it's kind of just like middling, like, again, Galactic Senate politics music, and it's just no. boring. There's nothing memorable about it. Yeah, I mean, even thinking right now, I hate episode one with a fiery passion of a thousand suns, but, but it had a great soundtrack. I can hear yeah. the soundtrack, I can hear the pod racing music, I can hear the duel of the fates from the, the duel in the Naboo power room, whatever the, right, the and that, that was a huge song. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, that was playing everywhere. I can hear that. I can hear the the final battle, the Anakin Obi Wan duel music from episode three. But Attack of the Clones, I can't think of a single piece of music. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I I can think of one, but I re- as I recall, it's the, the like the clone marching music where they're panning over the big like field of the clones loading up at the end. Yeah, but it's just basically a redo of the right. Imperial March. I was gonna so, say yeah, but yeah. I the reason it sounds familiar is because it's the Imperial March, just like it's a twist on that, so it doesn't count. Hmm. All right, what would you say, Sam? What's your favorites like for the music? If you had to pick, uh, for Empire Strikes Back, I gotta say one of the tops, the ones that I really that comes to mind, everything is. The score at the end of the movie, 
right before we hit credits and everything, where it's Luke's getting the new robotic hand and everything, and they're kind of in a real, like, shitty place. They're like, fuck, man, what are we going to do here? And uh, they're, like, looking out into into space and whatnot, and it's just like, it's kind of a da- downer and everything, but it's like, God, you know, where are we going to go from here? How are we going to save everything? But it's just, I don't know, it still, it stays in my mind, and it's just like, you can see out into the universe, and it's like, well... So a whole universe of possibilities out here. Something, you know, something will happen. Yeah, I, I always did like that too. It ends on a very hopeful note. Yeah, it's th- that's that's definitely uh, up there for me. Um, let me think what else. The uh, I, I guess we were saying the fa- the Phantom Menace of the clones marching or not the clones. Sorry, the um, it's sad. I'm saying the Phantom Menace, but the droids marching um, against the Gungans was kind of it kind of. See, I think I'm thinking of that. Um, maybe that's just because it's kind of humorous, too, because they have those energy shields set up, and the droid's like, oh, let's just walk through them. And, oh, the music, I think I kind of remember the music from that. And, you know what, another one is, I can't believe I'm saying it again, but the fan mask, in, like, opening scene of the movie, where Qui-Gon Jinn and, Obi- and Obi-Wan are just waiting there to go meet with the Trade Federation. I kind of remember those that music bit little too, and that was just like you know, calm. We're starting off here, and at that point, I was still naively optimistic that the movie could be good, but I still had some hope. Yeah, I do remember that track too. It's kind of uh, that very mysterious music in the beginning. It's kind of a mystical tone almost when they're getting taken on board the Trade Federation ship and. They're being seated. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it, it felt kind of like, if I could put a word on it, it's like mystic corporate. Yeah. Like the Trade Federation guys always seem like to me, they seem like Japanese businessmen. <laughs> I like the that. The stereotype of a Japanese businessman. Yeah. Is, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I really can't recall any music from any of the prequels aside from the two, like the final dual themes. Yeah, I know. I think John Williams just he blew it out of the park on the first movie with Duel of the Fates, and then yeah, not, that, nothing could have compared to that. that. Yeah, that that goes without saying. That I just didn't want to repeat it, but that's definitely one that's crazy up there for me. Okay, so in conclusion, on the movies, we all disagree about pretty much everything, <laughs> and on the soundtracks, we we pretty much agree on everything. Huh. Yeah, I think that the, it's important to note, though, just again, that we may disagree on the order, but you notice there's a firm dichotomy between prequel and original trilogy. Oh, yeah. That's by design. Yeah, that's by design. Um, I'm sorry if you were born, like, in 2000, and you're a teenager now listening to us, and you think we're assholes because we don't understand about Star Wars, but... Jar Jar Binks is your hero. Yes. I, I would submit for food for thought and ending note, perhaps it is you who do not understand about Star Wars. <laughs> just a thought, you know, I'm I'm just saying that the prequels really suck. I wanted to make that clear. Yeah. So, uh thanks for listening guys. I we hope this was like a a good departure from news or commentary tracks. Um keeping a lookout for more module B stuff during the week and you'll be hearing from us uh next Sunday like clockwork. Thanks for listening. May the force be with you. <laughs>